You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com on the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Caitlin. It's me, your mean old babysitter. Oh. And... <laughs> And I have a list of rules and a list of chores okay. for you to do. Okay. Such as talk about movies. Oh, see, I thought you were going to do, uh, I thought you were going to do Rose Lindsay and I thought that I was going to have to reply to you. I'm right on top of that, Caitlin. Oh, that makes more <laughs> sense because that is way more what the movie is about than the babysitter being dead. So I kind of fumbled it. Yeah, it's about learning to navigate your way through life as a girl boss when you're uh, when you're a liar. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, start early. It's never too soon. You know, when you're 17. Quit your hot dog job <laughs> and uh, st- start selling uniforms to members of a gigantic chemical conglomerate something they go out of the way to tell us about for some reason i love this movie uh <laughs> welcome to the bechdel cast my name's jamie loftus and i'm on i'm right on top of that caitlin oh thank you so much jamie and my name is caitlin durante and i'm your boss and your babysitter and your mom mm-hmm. and thank you, mommy. um th- <laughs> this is our podcast in which we examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens using the Bechdel test simply as a jumping off point to initiate a larger conversation. Mm. But Jamie, what is the Bechdel test? Well, I'm right on top of that, Caitlin. I can tell you Mm. what it is. This is about to not pass the Bechdel test, but is that what uh, (sighs) men say when they're having sex with you? I'm right on top of that, Caitlin. I'm right on top. All right, moving right along. Uh, yep. And then and then I turn around and they're dead, just like the babies. And, <laughs> and then they just slump to the ground. Uh-huh. I don't I, I don't have sex as much as I watch Julia Child and uh, then stop smoking so much weed. This movie rocks. Okay, the Bechtel test is 
a media metric created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechtel, sometimes called the Bechtel-Wallace test, originally made as a bit of a goof, a bit of a bit uh, for a comic mm-hmm. she made in the 80s. A bit of a bit. A bit of a bit. <laughs> Uh, but it's since become a, a very popular way of analyzing media. Lots of versions of the test. Here's ours. Mm-hmm. We require that a piece of media have two characters of a marginalized gender with names who speak to each other about something other than a man for two lines of dialogue. And it should be a you know narratively impactful uh, line of dialogue, such, such as I'm right on top of that, Rose. <laughs> And thank you, Jamie, for being right on top of explaining the Bechtel test. That was an incredible job. I'm so impressed. Actually, I am not. I did none of the prep for this episode today. I had Kimmy Robertson do it for me. Uh. (laughs) I was going to say, did you you delegate it to a a colleague who is obsessed with doing busy work? Yeah, sorry. I actually took advantage of the most vulnerable person in the workplace I could find and Mm -hmm. uh, was rewarded for it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Good job. <laughs> There's only two people in our workplace. I'm like, I, I don't know who. We don't have a Kimmy Robertson. Maybe we should. No, we shouldn't get an employee and exploit them. What am I talking about? <laughs> Let's get this episode started. Yes. By introducing our wonderful guest. She's a film critic for the New York Times and host of the podcast Unspooled. It's Amy Nicholson. Ah, hello, everybody. Hello and welcome. <laughs> welcome. Oh, it's so nice to be here. I've been I've been wanting to tell you. You know, like my podcast in school, it started because we were going through the AFI top 100 and then like realizing we could get rid of a lot of them. We absolutely mm-hmm. axed The Graduate. <gasps> I mean, uh, yes. I loved you guys going hard on that movie. I hate that movie so much. That movie sucks. That movie sucks. So fuck you, The Graduate. <laughs> it's gone. Oh, thank that you. That brings me so much joy. <laughs> it's so bad. And Unspooled is incredible. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank yes. you. So you brought us Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. What is your relationship, your history with this movie? Yeah, I was thinking about that. And I was thinking, I think this might be one of the first movies I ever saw in a theater. Okay. Maybe. You know, I'm a child who was alive in the 80s, but I don't remember a ton of the 80s. We didn't go to movies a Mm -hmm. lot when I was a kid. But I'm pretty sure I saw this around the time that I saw Home Alone. Mm -hmm. And I have loved this movie deeply since I was a child. I watched a lot of TV instead, so I watched Married with Children all the time. And the idea that there was a movie with Kelly Bundy was the coolest thing in the world. And I thought this movie was the coolest thing in the world. And I I still kind of do think it's one of the coolest movies in the world. (laughs) Hell yeah. Have you guys seen it before or what's your whole thing? I had not seen it before. And so coming into this movie, this and the other classic babysitter movie of, well, I guess that maybe there's a handful because there's like the Babysitter Club movie, which I also haven't Mm -hmm. seen, but I did read those books. And then there's Adventures in Babysitting, which was maybe what, like five or six years before. Yeah, I've still never seen that one. Yeah. Also with Keith Coogan. Oh, is he in it also? Wow. Yeah. Okay. He's Good for him. really niche babysitter content. <laughs> getting kind of ugh, getting typecast in babysitting As someone movies. Someone who could be babysat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brutal. Um, so I have seen that one, but I missed all of those movies as a as a youth. So I hadn't seen Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead until I started prepping for this episode, and I didn't love it. Um, oh, no. Caitlin, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay to be wrong every once in a while. It's okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for giving me permission to be wrong. But I just, I found all of the characters very irritating, even the ones you're supposed to be rooting for. And um, and I think it's because I, I resent movies that 
are clearly for like teens and kids that are like all the adults in this movie suck and the kids are awesome i know i'm getting old because watching those movies as an adult i get like very unreasonably annoyed (laughs) about movies like that so that's kind of my that was my reaction to this but i think this movie does like addresses some interesting things that i was not expecting it to address so i'm excited to talk about it Uh, Jamie, what about you? What's your relationship with this movie? Also very recent, but I had the opposite takeaway from this movie. I I watched this movie for the first time in some point in lockdown. Uh, I was in the mood for something silly and did not real like didn't know. I'm trying to think of movies where there's like this kind of comparable effect where the title of the movie has kind of nothing to do with what happens in the movie. Mm -hmm. But I was ready for a whole like... I don't know, weekend at Bernie's babysitter hijinks or something. Same. And not like girl boss working girl, but I really, really enjoyed it when I saw it. Uh, I was like surprised at the number of things that this movie tries to take on while staying pretty silly. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought, I, I don't know, I guess I would, we can get into it in the discussion, but I would argue that not all the adults in this movie suck. Um or, or that there are at least some... I think that all the adult men in this movie suck, and that doesn't bother me. For, for sure. Uh, but I think Rose Lindsay is um, is a character that we can root for. And even, you know, I was... Okay, I think my main battle watching this movie with analysis outside of early 90s tropes that we'll talk about is I, I was trying to get a gauge for like how people feel about their mom <laughs> and their mom mm-hmm. is such a polarizing character even it seems like it, with fans of this movie where there are some people who are like you know their mom's supposed to be 36 in the movie and has five kids in a house that is absolutely falling apart uh, <laughs> and she does fuck off to Australia and some people think that that is praxis and amazing and other people think that that is negligent parenting and i was like oh i guess i was off i i had a crisis last night where i was like oh i was yeah i always sort of thought that's not great parenting but then i'm like maybe that's my internal misogyny (laughs) but then i'm like no i think it's bad parenting you shouldn't Mm. just go to australia when you have um, a kid as young as yeah five kids ranging from I don't know. The youngest one seems to be like seven. Yeah. And then there's like maybe like like a nine-year-old. She left them with a full-on stranger. One thing about people in this movie is they don't check resumes. They don't vet. (laughs) (laughs) How could you? It was the 90s. I think it's great Gen X parenting. Because like, (laughs) I know we're going to get into all of this, but like that mom has had it. And I would say (laughs) as much as the not all of the adults suck, at least not Rose, I think the kids do kind of suck and i'm like if i was that mom absolutely i'm getting out of here like i'm over it nobody helps her she's so mad Mm -hmm. i know we'll get into this but i need that needed to be said i also to be clear i don't think that rose sucks it's more like every adult in the movie is presented in a particular way many some of them are like mean and conniving nagging but rose is just kind of like clueless i mean she's very nice and she's like a supportive boss and she seems good to work for but just the way that every adult is presented in a rather cartoonish and usually unflattering way. I feel like that's that's sort of my, I don't know, it depends on the movie. My mileage with that sort of varies, but sometimes I like my sure. favorite movie when I was a kid 
for a while was Jimmy Neutron because all the parents suck and then they're kidnapped by aliens. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think this is a movie about how growing up sucks and nobody ever grows up that much. And Rose can still be swayed and bobbleheaded and easily distracted. Mm -hmm. True. I mean, relatable. Very relatable. (laughs) Shall Shall I do the recap and we'll go from there? Let's do it. All right. So we meet Swell, who you eventually learn is a, that's a nickname for Sue Ellen, which is a name. I was like, I'm sorry, her name is Swell. I was very confused for a while. Love it. But Swell is played by Christina Applegate. She just graduated from high school and she thinks she's about to have a fun summer of freedom because her mom is about to leave for Australia to go with, I think, her boyfriend for two months. Yeah. I like to think that there's an alternate timeline of like when the mom gets back, I'm always like, and what was she up to out there? Like, <laughs> what did she? I, mm. We know that she's had a big fashion change, at least something, something <laughs> in her core has been unlocked. She's a, she's a freer woman. But she says, I've had a very rough 37 years and I need a break. Yeah. So, yes. Go mom. Yes. <laughs> she, Good uh, for her. I like that she has I, like an eat, pray, love while her children's <laughs> lives are falling apart. Yep. Okay. So Swell thinks she's going to have all this freedom this summer. But surprise, her mom has hired a babysitter, Mrs. Sturak, to look after Swell and her four younger siblings for the summer, much to Swell's dismay. Uh, Mrs. Sturrock seems like a sweet old lady at first, but as soon as their mom leaves, she reveals that she's actually very mean and she has a tyrant, a list of rules and chores for Swell and her siblings, who are Walter. He's the youngest. Melissa, I think, is next youngest. Uh, She's a bit of a, you know, quote unquote tomboy. Mm -hmm. Then there's Zach, who's like a tween he seems like he's maybe like 12 or so he's very he's, romantic he has a girlfriend he really likes he's also the kid that sells keanu reeves the surfboard in point break no way yeah <laughs> wow gotta love 90s <laughs> kid actors um and then there's kenny who seems only a little bit younger than swell he's probably like 16 uh, maybe 15 um he's like a kind of rebel teen punk kid you know what's weird though is like they give the ages for the kids on wikipedia mm. and i don't know about you guys i have like a total blindness for kid ages like i couldn't tell you how old any kid is I'm not like great at no it. clue mm-hmm. they say the youngest kid is 11 wrong so it's like it started at 11 correct. and then like the girl is 12 and then the heartthrob is 14 and then it doesn't bother saying what kenny is but he can drive i assume that i mean that is simply not <laughs> correct there's what? no way that walter is 11 that no i was at target yesterday um what? buying a baby Brag? shower gift. okay yeah i'm pretty wealthy uh <laughs> But I was, uh, I had like a half hour to kill. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to sit in the Starbucks area of Target and kill some time. There were these two kids next to me who I could not, I was trying to figure out how old they were, had no idea, but they were actively planning to shoplift. Okay, nice. um, The whole, and it was so fun to listen to them because they were just like, 
not not setting themselves up for success. I was rooting for them. Steal from a big box store, of, of course. course. But the, the, the one of them just kept like hissing at the other. Yeah, man, everything has barcodes on it, okay? <laughs> Stop asking me. <laughs> what were they prioritizing? What are the kids these days into? As far as I know, the plan was to steal a bunch of Halloween mm. candy. <laughs> Think bigger. <laughs> I know. I and then but then when they left there was a mysterious they had they were looking at TikTok. They did a TikTok dance. This sounds like a vision I had, but they were they were real. <laughs> and then they they had like a can of shaving cream with them, which they also may have stolen, and they put a bunch of shaving cream all over the table they had been sitting at and then they stole Halloween candy and uh disappeared into the Americana. Wow. Halloween candy if they wait a couple weeks, they're going to get Halloween candy for free. Steal a steal a DVD. I guess they don't know how to work DVDs. But steal something that you could sell for candy. Steal something smaller. Steal what are you a doing? DVD. I know. They were they were absolutely blowing it. Wow. I like that story, though. But I was like, are these kids like eight or are they 13? 14. Yeah. Like, I have no idea. It's, it's hard. I really can't tell children. Yeah. But I'd refuse to believe that Walter is as old as 11. That doesn't seem right at all. Okay, so uh, Mrs. Sturrock is, is mean and a tyrant. And so Swell goes to confront her about her authoritarian rule. And when she does that, Swell discovers that the babysitter's dead. She must have died in her sleep. And the siblings realize that if they call 911... Their mom will be notified and come back home, and they don't want their mom to come back home just yet. They want to have freedom. So they decide to leave Mrs. Sturrock's body on the doorstep of the mortuary and then spend the next two months taking advantage of their mom being gone. They're horrible. (laughs) Like, yeah, they're not good. They're bad kids. But (laughs) So the next morning, Swell goes to buy groceries with the money their mom had left to Mrs. Sturek to like buy food and for spending money and stuff. But the envelope is empty and they realize that Mrs. Sturek must have, you know, just like had the money on her when they left her body at the mortuary. So they don't have access to that money anymore. So Swell now needs to get a job. So she goes to work at a place called Clown Dog, which is a fast food joint. Can you imagine how that makes me feel to see? I was thinking about you the whole time, Jamie. So was I. I was thinking about your respect for the meat. (laughs) Oh, thanks, Fred. uh, I have been to, if if we have any listeners in Albuquerque, in the greater Albuquerque area, they do have a place called Clown Dog Hot Dog Parlor. And I wonder if it was inspired by this movie because it opened after it came out. Oh, interesting. Also, they're... The hot dogs at Clown Dog in Albuquerque are not chili dogs, as this fake one mm. is. It's very f- fucked up. They, their whole thing is like, we make fucked up hot dogs. <laughs> and I got this thing there called the Three Ring Circus. Mm-hmm. That was like a hot dog with onion rings and like SpaghettiOs. Oh, okay, I'm listening. <laughs> and like a third circular. It was so nasty. And then I was like, this. and they're like, no, it's clown. It's a joke. <laughs> and I'm like, this is, but I have to eat it. Well, yeah, obviously. Anyways. <laughs> different kind of clown dog place no but you, you're touching on something i think we're going to wind up talking about in this movie presenting something disgusting and then being like it's a joke i'm kidding mm-hmm. right <laughs> yes oh yeah because that's the <sighs> that's the whole gust thing perverts uh line yeah, yeah. yep, yep. Uh-huh. um 
And the job, Swell does not like the job, and she quits it almost immediately, but not before she meets Brian, another teen worker at Clown Dog, uh, played by Josh Charles. Mm -hmm. So then Swell goes to apply for a receptionist job at a clothing manufacturing company with a resume that she copied and pasted from a book. And there she meets Rose, the senior vice president of operations, who hires her on the spot to be her executive administrative assistant, which is a phrase they repeat 47 times throughout the movie. It's a mouthful. I I really (laughs) like I think there is like a lot of good satire of like corporate life in this movie. And it felt very Mm. on point for us for someone to just like meet someone that they sort of liked and they're like yeah I'll hire you over this person who's worked here for years because I just don't like them for reasons Uh, (laughs) and thus enemies are made vital vital enemies are made in this film yes exactly so what happens is that this executive administrative assistant position was supposed to go to this woman Carolyn but Carolyn is mean and Rose doesn't like her or want to work with her which is why she gives the job to Swell. So Rose shows Swell around the office. She introduces her to Gus, which is Rose's colleague slash boyfriend, although they have a mutually unexclusive relationship as they define it. (laughs) So then Swell and her siblings go out to eat at, I think, according to scholarly journal Wikipedia, Chuck E. Cheese. Chuck E. Cheese. It looks like a Chuck E. Cheese. Mm-hmm. He's very... in the background. Oh, I didn't even notice. <laughs> yes. Sorry. The locations in this movie were really like tailor-made to thrill me. I was going to say, not to blow up your spot, Jamie, but I feel like it's all of your major food groups. <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese. Hot dogs. Yes, from hot dog to Chuck E. Cheese pizza. They are in a Chuck E. Cheese. Um, you can see, for all my Chuck E. Cheese heads, you can see the early 90s chuck suit the one that always looked crusty okay uh, in the background of a few Mm. scenes love that okay so they're leaving chuck e cheese and as they're leaving a few drag queens steal their car aka mrs storak's car that swell had been driving around so swell calls brian the guy she met at clown dog for a ride and then he asks her on a date and she says yes then Swell goes to her first day at her job at the clothing company, but she she's in over her head. She asks another assistant, Kathy, to help her with the QED report, aka she basically has Kathy do part of her job for her. And it's Kimmy Robertson from Twin Peaks. Oh, and other that things. is okay. Oh, that's, that's who, that who Kimmy. Is. Okay. Yeah. I know. I was like, am I supposed to know this name that Jimmy's saying? <laughs> like you, you, it's just her voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I recognize her now. Mm. Okay, so then Swell discovers that the mean receptionist woman, Carolyn, is Brian's older sister. Oh, no. <sighs> she also meets Bruce, who is played by David Duchovny, <laughs> who I was not expecting to be in this movie. <laughs> Especially in a role this um, small and specific. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sleazy. Yeah. This is right before he was, he was not anything at this point, right? He was just like sleazeball, good cheekbones man. Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, so he's an asshole and he's also Carolyn's boyfriend because there is a lot of inter-office dating at this company. Yeah, well, there's also no HR department that I was able to find, which is wild (laughs) because they would have been really busy if they had had thought to hide. 
So meanwhile, Swell learns that she won't be paid for two weeks, but they've run out of food at home. And then Swell learns about petty cash in her desk and takes some of it to buy groceries. Her plan is to borrow it and then pay it back when she gets her first paycheck. Mm -hmm. Um, And then meanwhile at home, Swell is assuming more and more of kind of like a mother slash guardian role for her younger siblings. She's supportive when they need it. She disciplines them when they need it. Stuff like that. Back at the office, Swell starts to get the hang of things. Uh, Gus takes Swell to lunch. He's a disgusting creep. Mm -hmm. Swell also goes on a couple dates with Brian, but she won't tell him where she works, partially because Carolyn is his sister. And he gets upset that she won't be honest and forthcoming with him, so he storms off. She's upset about that. She's upset that she has had to take on all these you know, adult responsibilities when she feels she should be enjoying her youth. And you're just like, at this point, you're like, these kids hate their mom because (laughs) this is getting so dire. Um, Mm -hmm. They must really hate their mom. I did like, I feel like a lesser movie, and I know we'll, we'll get into the Swell and Brian relationship, but I feel like a lesser movie would have her really like, you know, like she's upset that they sort of break up, but she's also like, but I have things to do. And then Brian just disappears mm-hmm. from the movie for the next half hour because she she has shit to deal with. Yeah. And so she just um, like a real like a real single mom girl boss uh, compartmentalizes it <laughs> and forges mm-hmm. ahead. She takes her bubble bath. She exhales. <laughs> she complains about how nobody in the house, none of her, none of her younger siblings care or respect the work that she's doing oh yeah but she just gets on with it anyways because that's the role that's and she's she got so do. much to deal with because meanwhile her siblings steal a lot of the petty cash they buy a home entertainment system uh, zach buys a diamond for his girlfriend they buy some other stuff also walter falls off the roof because he's trying to like do something with the antenna for the new TV. He has to go to the hospital. Very 90s injury. Yeah. Kenny is being an insolent little shit all the time. And then meanwhile at work, Carolyn is trying to dig up dirt on Swell to get her fired. Gus continues to be creepy. Also sales are way down at the company where like Rose was trying to make this deal to sell uniforms to a school but they lose that account and now the company might go under. So things are really falling apart for Swell and friends. Rose eats an M&M off the floor, which I uh, <laughs> is maybe one of my favorite parts of the movie. Wild. <laughs> so things are falling apart, but Swell gets an idea to make the uniforms that they design and sell, make them, you know, snazzier and more fashionable mm-hmm. and, and to put on a runway show to impress possible clients. And her boss, Rose, thinks this is a great idea. And she's like, rent a banquet hall and pay for it with the petty cash, which, of course, is all gone. And Swell can't reveal that. So she's like, let's just have the fashion show in my house. So then Swell has her siblings clean up the house because it's a mess. And everyone rallies and they manage to put on a nice event. And the fashion show is going well. But oh no, Carolyn and Bruce have discovered that Swell is only 17, so they try to blow up her spot at the event. This is also when Brian shows up to profess his love for Swell via, like, the... The truck. The truck. The hot dog truck. The circus (laughs) truck. 
Um, uh. And it's also when Swell and her siblings' mom comes back a week early from Australia. Mm. So everything, you know, falls apart for a moment. And Swell admits that she's only 17. She's not ready for all of this responsibility. She's in way over her head. And while her mom is upset that she threw a big party and things have like gone off the rails, she's like, wait a minute, the house looks good and everything actually kind of seems to be under control, even though my youngest son has a broken leg. Um, Rose is also impressed with Swell and no one is actually that mad. And then Swell and Brian kiss and make up. And then the movie ends with... Swell's mom being like, hey, whatever happened to the babysitter? And then we cut to two guys visiting her grave, thanking her for the money that she left them, a.k.a. they found the cash that was on her body. And they seem to have gambled it all the way in Vegas. (laughs) And that money could have gone towards feeding children. Oh, tragic. Uh, so that's the end of the movie. Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back to discuss. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com and we are back. Woo, okay. Where do we want to start? I don't know. 
there's actually kind of a lot of different uh, aspects of this movie worth discussing. Does anything jump out to you right away, Amy? You know, I would say if there's one like top line thing that jumps out at me in this in this movie, and it, it's a phrase I didn't know when I saw this for the first time, that this is a movie about a young woman discovering invisible labor that all women mm. do. That her mother has been carrying this burden of the house. Nobody's been seeing the mother's labor. Nobody cares about the mother's labor. Mm-hmm. This house is trashed. Nobody's helping her with the dishes. The mother's like, fine, I'm going to do some visible pleasure for myself. Screw you guys. <laughs> and then Sue Ellen realizes, oh, shit, this world is not fair to the expectations it puts on women. Mm-hmm. And nobody will help me. And realizing how much adulthood sucks like one of one of the things one of the jokes i love about the petty cash is like she just assumes she'll get her first paycheck and then pay it all back in full and then even without her family stealing from her just like they did from their mom Mm -hmm. she finds out about taxes and she's like what's this taxes (laughs) i mean i find all of that very relatable as a person who remembers getting my first office job and being like what do you mean i have medical benefits i don't even know what that is right (laughs) like (laughs) yeah i i i agree and i i like that to a lesser extent, I like that this movie is very much Swell's movie, but you do also get a little bit of the invisible labor understanding from Kenny, too. Even though he's still, like, I would argue he's still a almost a complete and total asshole the whole movie. Because it's like mm-hmm. this combination of he behaves very traditionally masculine in that... Uh, he has no issue with calling his sister the meanest thing he can think of and he doesn't apologize for anything but mm. <laughs> he also learned but he's I, I i think it's kind of cool that the movie puts him in the role of having to keep the house together and like realizing that you can't just fuck off or like someone will get hurt like walter mm-hmm. gets hurt or like you will starve uh and mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. This movie's so campy and funny that it's like via watching Julia Child's uh, PBS broadcasts, a young stoner learns that he should finish high school. <laughs> You're just like, <laughs> yeah, cool, great. Yeah. Good yeah. for him. He learns about brie and rumaki and Creole mushrooms. Like, he's like leveled up when he starts catering. I like it. <laughs> and yeah. you're right. I mean, and it's kind of arbitrary that it divides out this way, where it's like, woman in the workforce, man keeping the hearth. Because they flip a pizza box, right? Like they flip like a frozen pizza box to decide who's going to work. And it just works out this way where like they wind up in kind of the quote unquote like opposite stereotypical roles of like she being the supporter, him having to keep, you know, the kids fed, which he does a terrible job at for most of the entire movie because he's hanging out with his buddies, Hellhound, Skull, Lizard, and Mole. (laughs) Those are their names. I didn't even catch that. Those are their names. (laughs) Oh, yeah. When they're like valets at the end, they have Hellhound and Skull and Lizard like on their name tags. <laughs> Honestly, iconic. Um, yeah, I found that. And then there's one scene in particular that like really helps to like fully demonstrate this toward the end where Swell and Kenny have an argument where Kenny is like, oh, you're always working. You didn't even call to say you'd be home late. And, you know, I was working all day on this casserole and you didn't even mention how nice the house looks. And when was the last time we even went out to dinner? You don't appreciate me. And she's like, well, I go out there and bust my ass to earn money for us and put food on the table. And it's like, it's an argument we've seen before, but it would be traditionally between 
a mother and a father so like not teen brother and sister but the movie is like very clearly and like for comedic effect mapping those dynamics onto these like teen siblings but it is like kind of you know quote-unquote gender swapped in terms of traditional gender roles and expectations where swell is like the quote-unquote man or father because she's the breadwinner and kenny is the like you know quote-unquote woman or mother because he's doing domestic and like caretaking work right which i wasn't really expecting for the movie to acknowledge so i found that really interesting and this movie does a lot of cool stuff i don't know like and (laughs) and also that i mean i don't know i guess that they don't maybe this isn't a criticism but they, they they don't like explicitly say that at any point that but like that this is like they're falling apart at doing these respective jobs and their mom was expected to do both of those jobs at once amy i like your take on the mom being like fuck you guys like i'm out of here because it's like they can't you know it's like they're to be fair they are kids but like they can't last you know six weeks doing what she does and they're only doing half of it and i like that it's sort of this um I don't know. I, I, I don't mind that the movie isn't super critical or doesn't place a ton of value judgment on the mom. And it, that's why this like debate <laughs> exists. Is it just you sort of bring your own baggage and opinions on parenting to the table? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's even that like tiny throwaway line because you're right. She The mom is doing everybody's part. And like somebody whines to her. I forget which kid, but they're like, I wish dad was around. And she just goes, no, you don't. <laughs> right. and that's all we know yeah. about how their family was. But that that house is a trash heap of disaster of moldy bread and newspapers everywhere. But if it was mm-hmm. worse when their hus- when the dad was there, how bad must it have been? Right. You know? There's also that moment with uh I think the last time the dad comes up is right after they've decided to get rid of the babysitter's body. And <laughs> uh I think like Swell says something to Kenny where she's one of them asks, like, should we call dad? And the other kid is just like, no, he would not give a shit. Dad doesn't care. Yeah. Right. That's right. Dad doesn't care. Uh, and, you know, I appreciate that as a screenwriting choice because it would be so easy to just make the dad dead or something. And the mom's like mm-hmm. a sad widow. Right. And, like, maybe she gets this, like, get her groove back in Aussie land stuff. But, like, that the movie makes a point of casually being like, the dad's alive and he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. That's brutal. I re- I respect how brutal that is. Right. And that there's just like, there are, I don't know. There, Caitlin, I'm determined to make you like this movie. There, right. <laughs> Me too. We'll see. There, I, I think, I'm right on top of that too. We're going to do it. <laughs> because there are like a lot of like interesting, like little uh, subversions of like what you expect of like teenage characters. Also, I really liked the... Um, I guess it's like this is just going to be a long conversation about Swell because that is like she's just all over the place in this movie. But I like that at the beginning of the movie, she's like, I don't really know if I want to go to college. Like that is Mm -hmm. something that you don't usually hear about, especially in a way that like her mom is concerned. But like, you know, she can't really control what her, her kid decides. I really like that conversation between Brian and Swell where they're like, well, uh-huh. I I like this, but like, do I want to, you know, get in debt forever about it? I don't know. Like, I would rather. And I was like, yeah, this is like all teenagers should have this discussion with each other because there's like, I don't. The only way I didn't like where that landed, even though it's probably like I guess more realistic. But at the end, I'm like, swell, take that damn job. What are you thinking? You want to get into fashion school debt? 
you were making thirty-seven thousand dollars a year in nineteen ninety-one. Yeah, and so what if you lied to get the job? You were doing a pretty good job at it. Rose slash, doesn't uh, care. <laughs> also, I think uh, I like the idea. Well, maybe I don't. I like the idea that from a glance, this movie is about you know a young woman who like learns responsibility and she kind of takes control of things and she becomes you know sort of like a leader in in a sense and and like you know things that we can be like woohoo it's a a girl doing stuff but then she yeah like you said jamie like becomes a girl boss and i don't know but point is um oh what was my point no i um, i don't remember it (laughs) going back though to that scene so like yeah and then like her and brian are talking about and they're like oh i thought my parent like our parents had like a college fund for us and it turns out they don't but you can assume it's because like they're lower middle class and they like can't afford to save up for college even in the early 90s yeah i mean i'll be honest that straight up happened to me like mm-hmm. my parents told me my whole life they were saving for my college and then march my senior year after i'd only applied to expensive private schools they were like oh we had to spend that we're so sorry i was like what similar yeah. deal here yeah similar deal i want a better state school which i love i've like do it again all over again then wind up with any fraction of college debt but oh my god it's a rude oh awakening. okay oh wait but, uh, we can't talk i'm so sorry we can't talk about this date scene though that we keep talking about without saying the most important word in it which is grunion <laughs> <laughs> i had to look up what a grunion oh, was can someone tell me what a grunion is <laughs> You guys, the Grunion stuff happens here. Y'all can go Grunion this year. Um, so, like, get Grunion. Like if you go to like Venice Beach, Santa Monica Beach, I forget what time of year it is. I've done it once. They have these little fish wiggle out and they like come and they hop around on the sand in the middle of the night. And like if you go down there, the one time I went, I remember it was like a party. People are drinking beer, waiting for the Grunion to show up. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, it's a real deal. And the Grunion are, you know, they don't bone like us, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. They're, they're not horny. Um. <laughs> That's so cool. Okay, cool. That's good to know. Yeah, we live in Grunion country. This is the Grunion zone. You might even call it Grunion Canyon. Oh, God. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. That was good. Uh- oh, wait. I remember my um, the point I was going to make. The reason... Generally, I like Swell's character, and I like the journey she goes through. I don't have a problem with that, except that she takes credit for Kathy's work and never like follows back up with Kathy to be like oh my god like I feel like she's not like expressing enough gratitude for her and she's taking advantage of Kathy never giving the credit she's due and my big thing for this episode is justice for Kathy I agree with you on that Mm. (laughs) I I think there's a deleted scene where like at the end of the movie Sue Ellen tells Rose and Rose is like, please keep working for me. She's like, you need to hire Kathy. But I think oh. they deleted that and they probably should have kept that. In. They should have kept that. For that sure. would have endeared me to both of them more because I sort of that knowing that there's a deleted scene that sort of clarifies it a little because it's also like they go through the trouble of like having Kathy be there. So it's it seems mm-hmm. like something is there's going to be some sort of resolution with her and there just isn't. Right. Oh, I, w- I wish that that was canon because that does seem like one of the few like I mean I guess you could you could argue that like Carolyn does I I think Carolyn should just go work for another company Mm. honestly she's she's very she's very diabolical and I think a lot of companies need that (laughs) so I think she would do great elsewhere and she's very angry and condescending the way that she's like person L (laughs) the way (laughs) she's so mean 
I I do like that. That was another uh, thing that we talk about, you know, sometimes where it's like, oh, these two women who just irrationally dislike each other. But I I don't know. I, I felt like Carolyn's character. You don't know exactly why she's so angry, but it feels like more in the way of like, you don't know exactly why their dad sucks. But it like I had enough information and there's so many relationships between different sets of women in this movie. They're all white women, which we'll get to. But mm-hmm. uh there are so many different types of women in this uh, script that like having one who was like grouchy and shitty, like didn't bug me too much because in that same office you have Rose and you have Kathy and they're all like really, really different uh, flavors Mm. of, of person. But Mm -hmm. yeah, Kathy deserved better and she was, Oh, what a sweetheart I know. where she was like, Oh yeah, I put in for that job, but it must not have been good enough. And you're like, Oh, I hope that I hope that they gave her the promotion and they gave her a raise because it's not like like the only thing that I mean, Sue Ellen was good at delegating, but that's like a classic. I feel like that's part of the it felt like that was like part of the corporate satire they were trying to get at that kind of goes away by the end, because by the end, I think right. you were supposed to believe that Swell was good at her job when she really wasn't. Mm-mm. She just figured out how to like fake it better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Which can be a useful skill. But yeah, because that is one of the ways that Caroline tries to rat her out. She's like. Kathy's been doing all the QED reports and it's supposed to be like dun 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 yeah but instead Rose is like delegation amazing girl boss behavior which I I think is really funny Mm -hmm. yeah and I kind of want to say not in Carolyn's defense but if you look at this movie from her point of view she's not wrong she was in line for a job Mm -hmm. this unqualified girl who strikes her as a phony she can't prove it but she has a sense that this girl's not right Mm mm-hmm She's right about that, too. You know, she's like, (laughs) she's justly aggrieved, Mm -hmm. but she's like playing the game in the wrong way. She's playing the game of Mm -hmm. like, this is what's right and fair. And this office is like, but what about what's charming and funny? Right. And she doesn't get that. Yeah. Yeah. And she's also so mean that no one wants to interact with her, (laughs) except for David Duchovny. Which is not the worst problem in the world, uh, (laughs) (laughs) to be fair. I would would accept that problem. Oh, no. I have to go home and have sex with David Duchovny. (laughs) Damn it. My life is so so hard. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. The Carolyn character, I mean, and, and I like that, like, you get certain humanizing aspects of her where it's like she has a good relationship with her brother and like you see her give him again like maybe if you're this deep in the movie you're like no I want Swell and Brian to end up together which is like I don't really care but like Carolyn gives him good advice she's like yeah it seems like something's off with this girl you should like just move on with your life and I was like you know what Carolyn pretty good advice that's i i have more information than you and you're right about that and of course he's a teenager so he doesn't listen but i was like you know carolyn you're you're right amy he's she's uh she's pretty on point about everything i think it's just the the delivery of the information um yeah it just Mm -hmm. she's still at the phase of life where she thinks that she lives in a meritocracy (laughs) i i get that very much i remember the first time i got like i got pulled over for a ticket when i was in college and like a cop said that a train crossing signal was crossing and it wasn't, but they said it like ran a cross signal that was like flashing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely wasn't like a bar would have gone down. I couldn't have even done it, Right. but they pulled me over for it anyway. And I remember like going to the courtroom and being like, you know, 
18 to like mm-hmm. tell them what the truth was and realizing nobody cared. No one cares. And I had to pay the ticket anyway and being like so upset, like going to this like Oklahoma courthouse and crying to my dad on the phone. Like, what do you mean uh, you can't just tell the truth as an adult and people listen? And so I feel you, Caroline. Like I get that moment. Right. Mm-hmm. But also to kind of like what you're saying about the Brian relationship. I like that this movie doesn't make us have to believe that this is like their love of a lifetime. It's like mm-hmm. summer romance. Who yeah. gives a shit? You know what I mean? Not like mm-hmm. it's not. They're not pulling some sort of John Hughes punch. We are supposed to believe that this is like for real. This is it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I do like. I I don't mind that relationship for like most of the movie. There's a few moments where you're like, "What?" This seems like a bit much. But I I like that. Um, it doesn't feel shoehorned in for me like a lot of like romance subplots can because it's like Brian sort of is like this plot stand in for like Sue Ellen being able to still be a kid and like be able to be goofy and have fun and like almost sort of be herself which we don't which she doesn't have anywhere else because her friends are gone and her and she's in gridlock traffic for six hours a day yeah so I I, I like that they found, you know, like a way to show like, but she's still a kid and like should be allowed to be a kid. Mm-hmm. Like when they literally go to a toy store so they can play on the kid toys. It's cute. Mm-hmm. Directing wise, what I appreciate that and this film is directed by a dude, you know, it's directed by yeah. um, Stephen Herrick, who actually did a lot of he had like he's one of those people I think of as like the 80s auteur that you didn't pay any attention to like uh-huh. he in a row did like you know critters and bill and ted and mighty ducks but you're like you're never like oh yeah steven herrick you don't really think about it exactly but yeah. like i respect that he's a guy shooting this scene where christina applegate like the hot chick from married with children is bouncing on a bouncy ball in a low-cut shirt with spikes all over it and there's not one shot of her boobs, mm. do you know? There's not the littlest bit of mm. like, let's watch her bounce. Let's really watch her bounce. Yeah, men mm. doing the bare minimum. <laughs> you love to see it. <laughs> I respect that bare minimum, at least when it's there. Thank you. Sure. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear you. I'm also seeing Stephen Herrick directed the Glenn Close live action 101 Dalmatians. <gasps> mm. That alone. That's very special. Good, good for him. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I, I like that. I don't know. Like Swell is, I think, a really well-realized character where like she's definitely not perfect. <laughs> she fucks up all the time. She is embezzling. And she's embezzling. She's like taking credit for work she didn't do. <laughs> she's not good at her, her job. But, they, <laughs> but there's, but I, I don't know. But like, she's also a teenager. Like teenagers, like yeah, she's don't a kid. Make mature si- decisions, oftentimes. So. And I like that the movie like gives her space to kind of like be a fuck up and like not know what she's doing because mm-hmm. there. I'm trying to. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of, especially when they're as like conventionally beautiful as Christina Applegate. Like you often get these characters who are young women that they're like, well, why bother writing this? character like we have uh, Mm a hot actress doing it so who cares but like there's a ton of layers to who swell is and she does like grow a lot but not like so much that it's unrealistic I feel like the only unrealistic thing is she she, like completely gets away with it to the point where she gets to like say that as like one of the last lines in the movie where he's like Mm how do you think you're gonna get away with it and she's like well I basically did (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh-huh. When I told my boyfriend we were going to come on and talk about this movie, which I made him watch during pandemic. He'd never seen oh, it. Cool. He brought up this weekend this interview he saw with Christina Applegate. I don't know if it was like recent when she's talking about being a younger actress or like at the time. But they were asking her how she played Kelly Bundy and Married with Children at the same time, like how how she played an idiot bimbo. And she said, I don't think of her as stupid. I think of her as a person with a short attention span. Mm. And that she found a way into that character that wasn't, I'm going to mock this character. I'm going to let you laugh at this character. This character is your like typical blonde bimbo. She's just a person who gets easily distracted mm. and like found this way around it that allowed her to like love and respect the person she's being. Nice. And I think that that's, I mean, she's like 14, 15, I think, when she started that show. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think that's a glimpse into her as an actress even as a teenage actress. She's like a legit teenager when she makes this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. She's cool. I really like her. Me too. The one thing though, I, I'm mad at, I don't blame her for this. I blame like maybe her agent, maybe the production designer, maybe the director. I have this real pet peeve about this kind of thing happening where, do you know, like we see her driver's license at yeah. one point. And if you pause her driver's license, it gives a height and a weight that is definitely not true. Do you know what oh. I mean? You're oh, like, like, no, I didn't look at that. A lower weight than she yeah. would probably be. An absolutely lower weight than a person alive could be. <laughs> right. <laughs> at that, like at her height and weight. You're like, no. I just remember that thing being like rampant when I was a little kid. Like male characters giving girls weights because they don't understand how much girls really weigh. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're like, no, that's not it. Like there's a Christopher Pike book that I read around the same time where there, there's like the hot girl and like her chubby friend who's like called chubby the whole way through the movie mm. or a whole, whole way through the book. And then like halfway through the book, they reveal her weight and it's like 130 pounds. And you're like, what? <sighs> it's a stuff like that has always stuck with me. But that yeah. that happens on her license. And I want to say it's probably like the agent being like, let's make I don't nobody knows what weights are. Let's just make it tiny. Or, she's yeah. 100 pounds. <laughs> right. Uh, OK, well, I'll, I'll say it. they say she's five, six and 108. And I'm like, what? Um, that probably not she would be dead uh (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think we last talked about that where because i have a similar thing where like so many like little things like that when i was a kid stuck with me truly forever it sounds like a joke but it's real but a lot of my teenage eating disorder struggles could be traced to like amongst other things but a very specific line of dialogue in an episode of family guy it's Mm. not great but I think the last time we discussed this was in Bridget Jones because the weights they give in Bridget Jones Mm. as attributing to like this is a deviant weight is just so absurd it's a perfectly healthy weight that she is but they present it like it's inexcusable like and unhealthy and (laughs) unattractive and just like all this you know normative bullshit that that uh did a number on a lot of people oh I didn't notice the yeah. God damn it. I know. Yeah. But that stuff does get stuck in you. I remember reading a book once that described a character. It was like the dude and the girl he had a crush on and described her stomach as being, quote, not just flat, but concave. And like mm. being 11 and reading that and being like, oh, that's a beauty ideal. What? Oh, that's, that's what I have to <laughs> strive to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, so oh, well, yeah. Uh, movies, you did it in a movie that I think subverts a lot of hyper feminine stereotypes. Uh, they still got that still in there. God damn it. it. 
I guess the worst things in this movie are just in like the tiny visual things. Like I think it's almost at the very end of the movie where you go back to Kenny's bedroom, which has been like the site of horror. Like I feel like the movie implies that Kenny's bedroom killed would, like, the babysitter. Killed oh, the babysitter because he's got like it's so terrifying. He's got boobies mm-hmm. and skulls and weed and pizza crust on the record yep. player. Kills the babysitter. She never even met Kenny. She never met Kenny. But his like room was so crazy. But you go back to the room later and like. I don't know why. It's like an angle I think you don't see the rest of the movie, but you're like, oh, man, Kenny has a Confederate flag on his wall. I noticed that, too, and I was like, what (gasps) I didn't notice that, Kenny. It's right at the end. I'm like, oh, man, he's already becoming a better dude. And you're like, what? Why was that there in the first place? They live in (laughs) Southern California. Like, yeah. I mean, fucking racist pieces of shit are everywhere. Are everywhere. (sighs) Yeah, I mean... Look at the news in Los Angeles this morning. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Th- this will make no sense to people listening to the episode. <laughs> um, we'll figure it out. <laughs> Let's take a quick break <laughs> and come back for more discussion. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com and we're back. Uh, can we? I, I want to uh, get into Rose Lindsay world, but before we do so, I just wanted to touch on 
the babysitter. Yes. Really quick. Now, she's not long for this world. Uh, <laughs> and she is absolutely evil like mm-hmm. for the for the one minute we get to know her I feel like I feel like the the most memorable thing that she does outside of just like who what is the name of the I want to shout out the actor who played her because it was a great switch I love that they used the Twilight Zone music cue that was to fun. indicate that she was about to become a cartoon villain Ida Rice Marin like she was great as Miss Direct. Um, I feel like the most memorable thing she does for art purposes is makes Melissa wear a little pink dress mm-hmm. and wants her to be so rigidly feminine and finds it disgusting that Melissa uh, plays baseball, which right. no one else in the family does. Everyone else in the family is at least even though they are, they're like siblings and they can't stand each other, they at least seem like fundamentally respectful of who everyone is like they're True. not making fun of each other uh but anyways as far right. as mr Rock goes like there is there i'm trying to th- like the evil old lady thing is uh it's a trip yeah they it, they shoot her <laughs> in this way there were a couple points in this movie where i was like did this director make pizza commercials do you know what I mean? like could they shoot her in that kind of like monstrous fisheye lens that I always associate mm-hmm. with like mm-hmm. 80s and 90s pizza commercials where it's like, whoa, in your face. And I mean, the, the intro to like those kind of Looney Tune grandma thing that you see going on. She's like the yeah. Noid. Like sure. she's basically like the commercial pizza Noid, but a grandma <laughs> it is like just making her hideous. Right. The, the baggy stockings, like intro baggy stocking first. Right. They really do not present her favorably. And the fact that she is the oldest character and you know that she's an old woman and that they call her an old hag several times and they really you know just some ageist choices were made yeah Yeah, i i don't know we've we've talked about it on the show plenty of times of just how older women are more often made a joke of versus Mm -hmm. given any sort of characterization and uh, I mean, that's like a lot of women characters across the board of all ages, but I feel like older women specifically, it's it's more common to either like turn it into uh, body horror or just a very simplistic judgment value. And in Miss Stork's case, uh, it's both. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to think of the last time, the last movie we, I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, uh, mm-hmm. she's not long for the movie and the movie doesn't dwell on it really once she's gone she's really and truly gone and then all of a sudden it's like teenage working girl right but i just wanted to mention that yeah yeah there was an earlier draft too of the script i think she was nicer like i think that was one of the notes when it was starting to get put into Mm. actual production was like i think in the original script swellen only had two siblings okay and the babysitter wasn't that terrible and I think when they finally made it they're like she needs more siblings and we have to make this babysitter meaner because otherwise it's almost too sad it's cru- way too cruel of the- yeah they probably have to justify them like dumping her at the mortuary so they're like oh well if right the babysitters really mean that kind of quote-unquote justifies these kids you know just dumping her body <laughs> at least they leave a note saying she's a nice old lady which is a lie 
but <laughs> I that is a very funny like last joke that her tombstone says nice old lady <laughs> and it's funny because like one of the things that she does that's so awful is she comes up with like the chore chart mm. you know and actually like Sue Ellen just winds up having to come up with a chore chart right so not that I think this movie is like apologizing for the way it treats Mr. Rick, but I think it is like you know honestly these kids are horrible and they do need chore charts and she wasn't wrong. Yeah, she made some points in her brief tenure. Yeah. Though I do appreciate... So we see something that she does to each of the kids to demonstrate just how evil she is. She's like, Walter, read an entire cyclopedia and give me a report tomorrow morning. <laughs> My aunt she, used to do that shit. She, <laughs> she interrupts a little date between Zach and his girlfriend, who he will later buy a diamond for. She calls his girlfriend a trollop. Yes. I know. Pretty harsh. And then, like, physically abuses Zach by kind of, like, yanking him by the ear. Again, she looks at Kenny's room and then dies because of it. But to be fair, if I walked into someone's room and I saw a Confederate flag, I would maybe at least pass out. I know. But you know that wasn't what she thought <laughs> right. it was boobies. Because we don't, we don't see that in that scene. She, right. She, she was like, oh, my God, boobs drop over dead. Kenny was so horny that she died. <laughs> <laughs> but all, a lot of these things are framed as like, oh, my God, look, she's like enforcing ridiculous things on these kids. And one of those is... She she tries to enforce this this idea of like femininity onto Melissa and because Melissa had been established as again like a quote-unquote tomboy who likes to you know play sports and dresses in kind of you know a gender neutral or masculine way and she's like no 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 little girls should dress and act like little girls and mm -hmm. so she puts her in this pink frilly dress this big bow in her hair and it's almost exactly like the Mar the Mary Poppins outfit I think that like the girl from <laughs> Mary Poppins which I think it's like that but pink even worse I think at least Mary Poppins girls mm -hmm. were in like blue. Mm. But I think it's like, I'm I'm your <laughs> mm -hmm. old school nanny and this is what's appropriate in the year of our Lord, 1991. Oh, right. right. So Mrs. Sturrock inflicting these rigid gender norms on a character who doesn't conform to prescribed norms of gender presentation, at least in terms of clothing, and the movie framing the babysitter's behavior and rigid thinking as a bad thing for her to have done, I was like, oh, another progressive thing yeah. I wasn't expecting from this movie. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like, you know, we were talking about the gender inversion between like Kenny and Sue Ellen. I think there's one with the siblings too, because of the three younger siblings, you know, Walter's just the TV kid, right. but you have like the girl who's obsessed with sports and the boy who's obsessed with romance. And I think that's right, also yeah. a flip flop mm -hmm. too. It'd be so much For easier sure. for it to be like the boy's the jock and she's the like Mooney one, mm -hmm. but they flip that. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, Cynthia, you're my moon goddess. And he's <laughs> sweet about it. He's a big uh -huh. romantic. True. Right. Like you pointed out the Twilight Zone music. You get that kind of like back to back in a row of like Twilight Zone music. Then he's with his girlfriend and they're playing Casablanca music. And mm -hmm. then they like she goes into the room and suddenly it's like psycho music. Mm -hmm. Right. These are probably my first exposures to all of these songs when I was a kid. And yeah. so... um so props to that, too, preparing me for Casablanca, <laughs> yeah. being like, that's the sound of romance, because that's when Cynthia was his moon goddess. Right. I didn't even put that together, that, like, Zach's obsession with, with romance. And that's, mm -hmm. I like, and then as for Walter's obsession with vintage game shows, can't really account for it, but happy for him anyways. <laughs> yeah, good for him. I, and I like that um, this is, like, a little, little thing, but with uh, Melissa's character, who apparently uh, that actress 
is a known kind of iconic modern scream queen yeah danielle harris she had mm, been in as i didn't young, know oh yeah as young as she looks here she had already done two really gnarly halloween movies before this came out oh, that's gnarly amazing. ones where she's like i believe the lore is that she's jamie lee curtis's like orphaned daughter and so michael myers is going after her i've seen them they're very homogenous and they're terrible uh <laughs> i can't tell the four from five at all Wait, no, four, actually, Whoa. wait, there, to four's credit, four has a lot of, like, girls dressed like Kelly Bundy, and it's kind of fun. Five is just awful. But, <laughs> but yeah, she is a total scream queen. Huh. Oh, I, she's so cute in this movie, but what I like about Melissa's character is just, like, it's such a simple thing, but, like, whatever, she, she's, like, gender neutral or s- sort of masculine style, and, but she's still, like, a little asshole. She's a little stinker, and, uh, <laughs> It's not because she defies gender norms. She's just, whatever, 11 or something. Mm-hmm. And I like that her her mini arc in this, because the younger kids don't have as much of an arc, which is fine. Sure. Uh, but her mini arc is that she just really wants someone to come to one of her baseball games. And, right. and it's such like a sweet, like latchkey kid problem of like, your parents are just like... Their mom is too busy to go. Mm-hmm. Is she a little harsh at the beginning of the movie where she's like, little league will be there next summer. I'm fucking off to Australia, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Whatever. But um, I like that her little mini arc is complete because Kenny goes to her game. He cheers her on yeah. and he's proud of her. It's mm-hmm. nice. It's cute. That is sweet. I was reading an article actually with her, with, with um, Daniel Harris, where she, where she was saying, as they were filming this movie, she had the biggest crush on, you know, her brother, Christopher Petit, who plays like Zach, the heartthrob guy. But he had the biggest oh. crush on Christina Applegate. And oh. so like it never came to fruition. But that when they were a little older, they actually did get to go on a couple of dates uh, right before he he oh. he did die very young of a drug overdose, oh. which is sad. He's one of that like kind of generation of. 90s boy kids who really got run ragged and didn't make it through the decade like um the one that always sticks out to me is jonathan brandis but it's like this this was my generation of sexual awakening so like jonathan brandis and this kid were like my heart and leo they're like my heart throbs yeah but most of them didn't make it and like it's i find that really interesting because we talk so much about like what happens to young actresses and how much they really really do get put through the ringer but the young '90s boys all got really effed and all wound up with like yeah. you know addiction problems, or most of them. And it's like really mm-hmm. rough, and they all kind of vanished from the cultural memory. Which, right. yeah, I always think about River Phoenix. He was a little yeah before that, but uh, same era. Same ish. era. They're probably going out for a lot of the same roles. Mm-hmm. Like I think they. Mm. I've heard Leo. I think refer to it once that like the kids he always saw in his auditions a lot of them died because they were oh. all competing with leo for most of their parts and stuff <sighs> that's so uh i yeah i i i don't know as the more time that goes on i'm just like mm, child stardom should be uh, illegal i just uh <laughs> don't believe that there's an ethical version of it Mm-mm. but uh, um, but we would be remiss not to um say a shout out to Titanic if we're going to bring up Leo. Anyway. Oh, that's one of my favorite movies, too. We need to wedge in a Titanic reference at least yeah. once an episode. I made sure that Titanic stayed on our list, by the way, for Unspooled. I think that movie is amazing. Oh, and I man. will not broke anybody who tries to say that that movie is badly written. I'm like, are you kidding me? I cry every single time I watch that movie. <laughs> what a perfect movie. Ugh, they're... <laughs> 
Truly. I was realizing, okay, last side comment, and then I promise we'll get to Rose Lindsay. Um, I was realizing. <laughs> oh, do you mean uh, Rose DeWitt-Decatur? Rose. Rose. <laughs> I was thinking the other day about how I always have like wanted a nickname to stick for me. It has not happened, but when it has happened, it's been Jim or Jimmy. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And I realized that I feel like people take me more seriously when they're calling me Jim. And I was like, why do I feel that way outside of like people just tend to take masculine people more seriously? And I think it's because of all the Titanic behind the scenes featurettes I watched when I was a kid where everyone's talking about Jim Cameron so Mm. reverently. And they're like, well, what Jim says goes. And I was, I think it just stuck with me. And so when I'm in Jim mode, people listen to me. I always find that so fascinating when there's a director that you know by one name, but everybody who knows him in person calls him something else. It feels like a power yeah. move. Like, he, James Cameron, Jim. Jim. <laughs> like, well, to to the people he was uh, screaming at 26 hours a day, he was just Jim. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <sighs> Rose Lindsay. Yes. We got to get to uh, the gal herself. Now, I know I've thrown around the word girl boss um, g- quite a bit early in the episode. I do mm-hmm. feel like that term is um, arriving at its, um, I don't know, I'm I'm becoming it's disillusioned Twilight, with maybe? the term. Well, I, I do think that there is still uh, the sexism that is implied within that term has sort of gotten muddled over the last couple of years where when I first sure. started using that term, it was like supposed to be a, sh- a shorthand for like woman who is complicit in crimes of capitalism right. in order to like survive at a higher level. But I feel like it has since kind of just like turned into a castaway phrase that is just used to describe like a woman in a position of authority who I personally don't like, which I think is something that happens now. It's been karen I think. A know? little bit, yeah. yeah. Where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm I'm not going to write an essay about it, but I feel like the way that it was when we started using it versus how people kind of weaponize it now is not great. However, I do think that to some extent, Rose Lindsay fits the original intention of the term but sure. I also like her so it's hard <laughs> uh-huh. she's working in the fashion industry so like you know like you're like okay inherently exploitative <laughs> um she's making uniform you know it's her job to make sure that they're selling uniforms to a chemical company although apparently they also need to sell stuff to a school which didn't make sense to me if they're a chemical company subsidiary, I thought but that I don't know. The comp- the manufacturing company was a subsidiary of the chemical company, and so and then they, right. the manufacturers, just sell uniforms to anything that needs a uniform, like a school so or it's a workplace. Not just chemical. Or- Right. right like a cisco i get or, oh. i don't even know what cisco does yeah, i just feel like cisco does everything <laughs> right it's yeah. very i was like it's a very businessy business in that i don't understand what is going on or what everyone's job is but mm-hmm. rose as a person i think is like a really cool character that like satirizes a lot of like 90s corporate culture and then also like i was surprised at how empathetic and gentle the the writer's are with her like I feel like a lesser movie she would have like gone with Gus's word above above swells I feel like a lesser movie would have like formed this weird rivalry between them whether swell liked it or not but Rose is like very cool about the whole thing which kind of makes sense for like 
she's, you know, I guess she can't tell when someone's a child versus they're not, but apparently neither can we. And, um, and I like that. I don't know. I like, I, I like that she is very in swells corner and like is, you know, tells Gus to fuck off and mm-hmm. advocates for swell over her relationship with Gus. I think it's nice. Yeah. She is sweet and supportive of her employee and believes her when she says like, yeah, your boyfriend is hitting on me and being a creep. And then he's like, who are you going to believe me or a kid? And she's like, I'm going to believe the kid. Yeah. And then she forgives swell. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that she forgives swell. She's like, ah, oh, you'll grow out of it. Like, it's just so cute. I don't know. Yeah. And she's still game to mentor her. Be like, we can get dinner, even if you're not going to work for me. Like, right. I see you. I'll write you a college recommendation letter. And mm-hmm. I, I think they do film her in ways where you can see that she is actually respected at her job one of the one of the first real shots we get of her at work is like she's seated at her desk in a red outfit I think red mm-hmm. or orange she's always like matching her hair to her clothes which I think is so fun <laughs> but she's seated and at her, her desk is surrounded by people trying to get her attention trying to be like we need you we need you we need you like they film her in power positions there which mm-hmm. I respect mm-hmm. and Actually, I kind of like that they work for, like, a giant subsidiary because I don't think Rose is, like, that fooled that they're working in high fashion. Like, this isn't Devil Wears Prada where there's glamour here. Like, right. Rose is sort of like, there's not glamour. What are you talking about? Like, the mm-hmm. idea that fashion isn't all glamour, mm-hmm. I think is it keeps this film, to me, from being – like, Roger Ebert said this was, like, fantasy wish fulfillment. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She gets a job. It's actually not that glamorous. And she finds out about taxes. Right. None of this yeah. is, like – I was like, Ro- does he think that, like – What does Roger Ebert <laughs> think women <laughs> like, want? This is what <laughs> young women want? Yeah. <laughs> but also, I think there's like, you get these glimpses of Rose as a person who, you know, has had to make some compromises in her life. Like, one of the ones I find really sad is when Gus the sleaze bag, who's always hitting on, you know, Sue Ellen and then being like, just kidding. Ugh. Oh, fuck me. Just right, kidding. Exactly. But when he like invites her away for the weekend, she's like, Rose's real statement of it is she says, like, shades of real intimacy. Like, she's been, I think, mm-hmm. a little starved for what actual grown-up connection is because she's just in this working thing. And I don't know if it's a comment on, like, working women can't find love, but, like, she's settling for little things, you know? But she's right. excited about mm-hmm. it at the same time. Mm-hmm. She's happy about shades of real intimacy. True. It's such a complicated – because it's, like, I, I, I can't, like – get myself in 1991 brain to be like I don't really I like I feel like it's so open to interpretation how to take because it, it it's definitely a real thing that like women in straight relationships are constantly asked to kind of settle for crumbs mm-hmm. in situations like that and I like that like yeah like like you're saying Amy she you get like a lot of different like a lot of like what's frustrating about the relationship and what's unfair to her and also like they don't shy away from the fact that like she wants to fuck and like there's she wants a relationship with gus yes but she's also extremely horny she is not like the grunions no but yeah he gave her a 48 hour orgasm which i find very hard to believe meeting (laughs) gus and seeing how clueless he is to what women actually think i don't know how a guy can be that out of reading body language and give rose a 48 hour orgasm unclear (laughs) but she seems that happy Mm -hmm. also unclear that line where she says Every girl over 25 should have a cucumber in the house. Is that about eye bags or is that about sex? I think she's saying you're going to want to fuck that cucumber. Um, Rose <laughs> does say some like so, some very inappropriate things sure. to her <laughs> employee. I, I was thinking that, but then also, I mean, and this all 
whatever. Rose does not know that Swell is a kid. And Swell does initiate those conversations in most cases. Should Rose reply by being like, I just came for an entire weekend? Definitely not. <laughs> no. But Swell Swell is like repeatedly, and it, we know why. It's because she's trying to gauge like what Rose and Gus's relationship is. But mm-hmm. Swell is bringing that up and like kind of pushing the conversation along. So it is inappropriate, but I don't think it was like inappropriate in a in a void like it seems like swell was open to having the conversation and it's also daffy have you ever had a 48 hour orgasm no i've never been to santa barbara right i love (laughs) there's a few uh the few like there's a few like great lines in this or the same like it's in the middle of a disgusting scene but when when the waiter asks swell what she wants to drink and he's like sweet or dry and she goes um a little bit of of both Yeah, because I love that she's like studying Vogue magazine in order to figure out what an adult woman is. Because there's like a dress up element to what she thinks adulthood is. That montage where she's trying to get dressed for the first time for work. Yeah. And all the bows are too big and the lady buns and this power suit montage of like what women were supposed to wear the office looks so goofy on her. Mm -hmm. And she's trying to figure out her look. And then, yeah, like reading. I mean, I did that. I was like a suburban kid in Texas reading Vogue magazine to figure out like what adults did, you know? And I Mm -hmm. like. Also, have you guys ever had vermouth as a grown-up? I only started drinking it recently, and it's mm. really nice. I feel like is we it? got brainwashed by, like, James Bond movies that you're not supposed to get near vermouth. Vermouth is wonderful. Okay. What does it taste yeah. like? Because I, I just think of it as, like, in the same way I'm, I put it in a category of, like, that's not for me. Vermouth, brandy, etc. <laughs> I would call it complicated wine. Like, I don't, oh. do, I don't know if... I don't know if you live near Los Feliz or like No Figaro Bistro by like the mm-hmm. Los Feliz 3. Mm-hmm. They have vermouth on their happy hour menu. White, black, <gasps> and red. Or white, white, black, and red. I mean white, p- white, pink, and red. And it's just if you want to try it out in a happy hour price, okay. you feel really sophisticated drinking vermouth on the rocks. Jamie, let's go. Vermouth on the rocks. I want to say that out loud. There's <laughs> uh, That sounds so nice. There's some orders that I just, that you're just like, oh, the first time I said I'll have the salmon. <gasps> I'll never forget it. Jamie. It was at the American Girl Doll Cafe, but they had salmon and I ordered it. <laughs> All right. I forgot that that was one of your other food groups. <laughs> they don't There's go hot to dogs, Chuck E. Cheese, and American Girl, Girl Doll Cafe uh, at the Grove, unfortunately. But, Wait, um, you know. That just gave me a sense of it. I think when I became an adult and started living on my own, I was ordering salmon and feeling so impossibly sophisticated because we had fish sticks when I was a kid. I didn't eat salmon. Right. I thought, I thought salmon was so glamorous. And then I was embarrassed. I thought it was glamorous and I didn't eat it for a long time. And now I'm back full salmon. Return to the fold. Because I love, a, I love a salmon. It's wonderful. Return to the fold. It rocks. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you can get a reservation at American Girl Doll Cafe, which is genuinely challenging, um, it's pretty good there. Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. I wanted to, we've touched on this already, but as far as the Gus character. Let's talk um, about I th- Gus. I think yeah. it bears mentioning that if that sentence made sense, my brain is not fully cooperating with me today, but I appreciate because I feel like this is the a rare movie of this era that presents a character who is a predator and engaging in very predatory behavior that the movie also recognizes as predatory behavior because so many movies Mm -hmm. from this era 
show a character usually a man being very creepy and predatory but the movie's like he's... he just likes her he just likes her it's great yeah. <laughs> this is romantic right but this guy is being extremely predatory and you know it shows swell constantly being like you have the wrong idea i am not interested in you like stay away from me you're making me uncomfortable mm-hmm. and then every time she says something like that he'll be like Oh, you got the wrong idea. I was just kidding. You know, like, lighten up. It was just a joke. Which is such a, like, I was like, oh, I don't know if I've ever seen it, like, laid out that clearly in a movie before. Because that's such a thing. Especially when it's, like, his interest there is, like, he wants to hit on someone who works for him. He wants to cheat on his girlfriend. But he also wants to protect himself above all else and have grounds to, like, accuse her of lying like down mm-hmm. the line and so it's just like that like knee jerk of like I'm just joking I'm just joking I'm just joking and it becomes like his catchphrase and yeah I love it because it's a PG-13 movie she can't shoot his dick off but she can she can water gun she can make him look like he pissed himself with a water gun yeah yeah he says the grossest line of dialogue I've ever heard in a movie and I don't even want to repeat it here is it about juices is it juices flowing okay yes he says a woman gets older she matures she ripens juices start flowing (laughs) puke I'm I'm throwing up it's disgusting I do want to shout out that actor John gets for um being so like almost alarmingly good at like just like the face he's made because it is like whatever like we've it doesn't bother me in this case but the sort of like sexual harassment the guy um and that's his (laughs) whole character and it's like every shitty thing that you could do he does and he even makes that like what is that like comedy movie sexual harassment face where like there's an eyebrow thing happening and there's like a teeth thing happening and he's like mm, like and like, just being ah. and yeah. their lips look wet like even if they're not licking their lips yeah. you can imagine yeah. that they're licking their lips yeah yeah you're just like someone needs to towel this man off like what is going on he's here? like breathing heavily so disgusting and so uh the actor nailed it hopefully not method uh (laughs) but yeah that was and 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 i like that it's like super clear that like swell is being extremely direct and not that she has to be in this situation but she's also concerned about rose getting fucked over because she cares Mm -hmm. about rose and so not only is she trying to you know protect herself from this guy she also wants to do what she can to like inform and protect her friend which is um I think a cool thing to do. I like her relationship with Rose so much. And I also like, the, I think the last thing I have to say about Rose is just, again, with the scene where she eats the M&Ms off the floor when <laughs> they think that the company is going to go under. This is like, I don't even think this is like a gender thing, but it, like in movies with like high power or like with high pressure workplaces, I feel like very often everyone who works there thinks that this is the most important thing in the world. And like my life will collapse if I don't work at this company. But Rose is sort of like, oh, this fucking sucks. Like I need the money. I need the consistent paycheck, but it's just a job. I'll get another job. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, like I've felt whatever like there is like a, a certain amount of privilege to that but also say, that's a, that is a very like privileged white person thing to say <laughs> but also I do like that I don't know like but I think th- that my counterpoint to that is like a career woman 
stock character like it seems like Rose is at the beginning who mm-hmm. actually is just like I just want to make enough money to live like I don't give a shit about this company specifically sure I don't mind that no and I think I think the movie makes a point of actually expanding it a little bit where like in that whole stretch of is the company going over it's not just like Rose being like oh fine whatever blah 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 one of the things Rose has to do is she has to go down to like the garment area and fire Franklin the guy from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, who is an older yes. man. Mm-hmm. And, like, who knows if Franklin's going to land on his feet. Right. But, like, I think, you know, to, to go to, the, like, this actually is affecting people. And poor Franklin. He only gets, like, two scenes. But, like, yeah. it's sad. It, they, yeah. they, they take it there, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're, like, I mean, this movie has, like, a very clear class that it wants to criticize and, and take a look at, which is, like by and large the like I I guess middle to upper middle white collar class which is mostly in this movie in particular a lot of white people which is like it takes place in the LA area there's like never any reason for that to be the case Mm -hmm. but yeah I mean it's it's I think one of the only like less elegant transitions out of not that this is like a movie I would describe as very elegant but um how when swell like I feel like there's a level of at least naivete maybe like some class privilege as well when swell quits clown dog so abruptly yeah where that is more like wish fulfillment mm-hmm. than anything else in in this movie for for me as like oh yeah like I had a million jobs like that when I was like in my teens into my like early to mid 20s and mm-hmm. to just be able to be like wait this is fucking gross I hate this I'm leaving like there is a definitely a, an amount of privilege to her doing that that the movie doesn't seem interested in really analyzing and because she is like an attractive young white woman she's able to you know execute the con in the way that the con needs to be executed for the movie to work mm-hmm. it's true but also when she quits like that like it's in a way i think they they give you one beat where it's not like totally a victimless quitting because then when she hangs out with Brian later it's like, oh, you had to clean up all the mess that I walked out on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They at least don't let it end on the like, ta-da, no consequences. It's like, oh, this kind of nice guy who I feel like at the beginning is almost coded as beneath what she would think she should be dating, maybe. I see that. You know, like a guy who's like working for a living. He had to clean up after her. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like it's not like the deepest thing in the world. But it's like I, I find it interesting when they take those moments to shoehorn that little thing in that makes it a little more realistic. Mm-hmm. And like Brian still works there at the end of the movie. Like it seems like he and Carolyn's family are from a lower class than Swell and and her family, which if we're going back to like Carolyn, that, you know, makes her even more righteously outraged is like this you know, this faker teenager from like an upper middle class family is like taking a job that Carolyn's better qualified for. You know, mm-hmm. that's that kind of class outrage is very relatable in an environment where Rose is, you know, literally just picking someone who seems nice and kind of reminds her of herself. And because Carolyn does not remind her of herself, she does not qualify for the job. Probably same for Kathy. Also, Rose is just kind of being lazy in that situation, which also happens in corporate environments all the time. (laughs) Yeah, she's like Vassar, Comte de Gasson, and Calvin Klein. She's like, she's very label conscious. Mm -hmm. Like, you went to Vassar? Great. Yeah. Me too. And I will say, one, one thing about the happy ending that I think is really funny, though, is like those outfits that save the whole 
company. The like <laughs> basically Harley Quinn goes to high school outfits. Yeah. Are absolutely gonna tank the company because this movie is coming out in nineteen ninety one. Like Nirvana Nevermind is about yeah. to hit stores. And as soon as that hits stores, nobody is going to be wearing these pink nurses outfits and Roger Rabbiting. Like that moment is over. Like they're gonna put all their money in these costumes and then no kid is gonna wear them because they're gonna want to wear flannel. Yeah, but I appreciate that her friends all rally behind her, including the only black character in the film. Her one, her one friend, <sighs> yes. Katrina. Is it Katrina? I can't remember which one, which friend it is. The movie doesn't care enough to let the audience know what her name is because I didn't. If they did give us her name, I didn't catch it. Yeah, they do, but it's just like in a rush. She like introduces right. them one by one, and it's like Nicole, Katrina, mm-hmm. but then she's like panicking because Brian is running by, and it's like. I think her friend just walks out and she's like, thank you, Katrina. All right, we're good. Bye, bye Becky. We're done here. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, this is a, a very white movie. Yeah, which there's like n- no reason for that to be true. And I think that the only like friend of Swells that even has a role outside of just being like, hi, is the one that ends up dating Kenny? Question mark. That's oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. This is a question I had. How old is Brian? Because there's one point where he he's like, oh, let's go to this thing. And then she's like, well, I can't. I'm not 21. And he's like, oh, yeah, bummer. I'm like, wait, how old are you? I think I understood that is he's like, oh, shoot. Yeah, I also can't go because I'm also not 21. Okay. I think he's <laughs> I he's like, her age because, I mean, as, assuming if we're operating under the assumption that, like, he just graduated from high school he's about to start college because he talks about how he wants to go for like marine biology or something i understood it as he also just graduated from high school so neither of them can go okay because that because i also was like oh they're around the same age Mm -hmm. and then he was like oh that sucks you can't go i was like are you like 27 like what no what do you think about that line that they have towards the end where they're like having the reconciliation talk and I don't remember if he says it or if she says it, but one of them says, we didn't break up, we had a fight. Oh, she says that. She's like, mm. we didn't break up, we had a fight. And also, if you thought we broke up, you must have also thought that we were together. And he's like, yeah. And okay, so his whole thing is that he's not very good at open and clear communication, as demonstrated by... Not that Swell is either. <laughs> She's lying at her ass the whole movie. Yes. A scene that um, kind of stuck out to me, and this is a quick moment, but... They're kind of like gearing up to kiss and he's like talking. He's like, oh, here comes the moment where we might be romantic. And she's like, yeah, I like that moment. And then he's like, oh, but I ruined it because we talked about it and talking about it always ruins the moment. And then there's a beat and then she walks up to him and gives him a kiss. And I basically him being like talking about it ruins the moment. I think people should talk about kissing before they kiss. I think people should be like, look, can I kiss you? Do I have your consent? Maybe it does ruin the moment for a lot of people. But I think that we should all be talking about kissing and then kiss. Yeah. Always, every kiss. Every, every single kiss, kiss you have with everybody. <laughs> your whole no, life. No, but like, <laughs> your whole life. No, but like, in those moments where you're like, oh, what's the vibe? I'm not sure. You know, it's. I, I think it's helpful. I felt... Because there's so many moments where like, we see a surprise kiss in a movie because no one, because people are just like making assumptions and yeah. I'm pro talking about it. Well, like in The Graduate, what I hate about the kiss in The Graduate, to bring it back to the hatred of The Graduate for a second, <laughs> is like 
Dustin Hoffman's first kiss with Mrs. Robinson in The Graduates. Like, they're up in the hotel room, right? And it's sort of, like, awkward. And they've been, like, in the bar. And now they're up in the hotel room. Mm -hmm. She inhales a cigarette. And then he kisses her before she exhales. Uh And then then she exhales. And it's played as kind of, like, a joke. Like, ha, ha, look how awkward he is. But Uh that's the moment where, to me, I turn on this this movie because I'm like, Mrs. Robinson could date any of those hot guys downstairs who were checking her out when she walked in. Why is she going to have sex with this guy who can't even kiss her right? Mm. Like, it's such a... Right. Right? It's like, why? That guy's such a klutz. It's like a comedy (laughs) moment that makes it just be like, she could do so much better. She should just leave. (sighs) That whole movie is just a fucking disaster. I can't stand it. Um, (laughs) In the case of this kiss, though, I agree with what you're saying, Kaylin. I feel like there should be better consent talks in movies. In this way, it felt like a clumsy teenager thing sure. where, like, I feel like by him saying, like, ah, oh, the moment, and then she acknowledged the moment, I feel like that was a discussion. It, of, was, it was an awkward yeah. teenage one, and it wasn't the explicit, like, can I kiss you, which, you know, would be ideal. But I don't know. It For my... It didn't make me feel like it was inappropriate or uncomfortable because they were both like, oh, there was the moment and we're like 17 and we suck. And I was like, would I have been capable of better when I was 17? No, certainly not. Yeah. The first thing she says is, I hate this moment. And then she thinks she hurt his feelings. And he's like, I don't mean I hate this, you know, but she like hates the self-consciousness of it. Yeah. I guess where I'm coming from is think about who the intended audience was for this movie. It's like young people. It's kids. It's like, you know, teens and tweens. And if they see a movie where someone's like talking about it ruins the moment. I don't know. I mean, because that's not necessarily true. And again, I think we should normalize checking in with a person before, you know, like a first kiss. But ultimately, the character's do check in they do talk to each other about it and the moment doesn't get ruined because they do kiss so and we should question how many grunion died for this kiss because they do pan down and there's all these grunions <sighs> flopping around their feet yeah. and I, I hope the grunion population is doing well and i will say i took a second while we were doing this podcast to google grunion run and it actually happens about every other weekend from March to July. So no kidding. I'm what? saying okay. next, next spring, year, next year, run run is on. Oh <laughs> yeah. Um, I just wanted to touch on a few uh, behind the scenes things for this movie. Uh, very uh, white behind the scenes. There is a female co-writer who is primarily a novelist, still is primarily a novelist, teaches creative Mm. writing uh, all over the place. But Tara Ison, I hope I'm saying that correctly, was also a writer on Doogie Howser, as was Neil Landau, the other credited writer. So I think that this, that they just met on Doogie Howser and then Mm. were like, Mm. we gotta make a movie. Um, nice. But I, I do think that if this movie was written by two dudes, it very likely would have been quite different. And I uh, I liked I like this script by and large. And then there's also an iconic uh, woman producer on this project as well, Julia Phillips, um, who was the first woman producer to win the Oscar for Best picture back in the day Mm. for the sting this is like one of her like less famous movies but it's the last one that she produced but she also produced like close encounters and taxi driver and all these famous movies so i wonder if there's any julia phillips and rose right i wonder if julia phillips was like i get being a working woman in kind of like a weird corporate male environment right and how to be heard 
I would like to think that, like, yeah, I like that there's female producers. who I, I, She would at least given the script to read and given her notes on Rose. I'm certain of that. Mm-hmm. And I want to believe that that's true. Yeah. I hope so, too. I also want to say, like, some of the reviews of this, like, Gene Siskel voted this movie one of the year's worst films. Oh. And I just don't understand on really? what planet you would say that this is one of the year's worst films. Mm-mm. It is still heavily rotten on Rotten Tomatoes, which to me is like, yeah. I feel like I see this a lot as a critic. Where, like, movies about female friendship just are not, that whole subplot is not recognized at all by critics. And there's, like, it's girls wearing clothes and putting buns in their hair. How lame. Mm-hmm. And they miss mm-hmm. all of the stuff that's interesting. That happens time and time again. I For get sure. mad to even thinking about, like, Vampire Academy, where all the reviews of that were, like, why isn't there more vampire killing? And you're, like, it's a movie about teenage girls and their friendship. What are you talking <laughs> like, about? Yeah, but that's mm-hmm. boring to me. So, yeah. <laughs> so I hate it. Yeah. Ugh. And also another critic, Peter Travers, he had this line in it. He called uh, Christina Applegate the, quote, unflatteringly photographed Applegate. Another thing in which I'm like, what? And the only thing I can think of is like in the climactic scene where she's in that, you know, black dress and she has the cool little like black uh, ribbons in her hair or black bows. I don't even know what those are. Mm. They film her in a way where you can see that like Christina Applegate has arm hair. Mm. And like maybe that's what annoyed annoyed the critic is like <laughs> women aren't supposed to have arm hair how dare they film her in a way where you can see that she's a mammalian creature but like that's the only thing i can think of where she's unflatteringly photographed because it's christina applegate what are you right. talking about that yeah right no that's so that reminds me i mean that's happens so often and i can't imagine how frustrating it is to be a critic and have to like contest with that still which is like fucking wild um but i always think about how like male critics compulsion to only like be able to see movies about women in the framework of movies they've already seen about men like uh caitlin we talked about this in the now and then episode a couple years ago how Mm -hmm. now and then was like panned because they're like it's just stand by me for girls and it's like no it's just a movie about girls like what what is wrong with you or like when book smart was i mean that was well reviewed but i think was like girls super bad yeah and you're like ugh. like the only argument for that is that uh, there's two members of the same family <laughs> but it's like it's just people just don't like when um when women are friends it makes them nervous because we're all, we're telling we're telling secrets and the secrets mm. uh, will bring down society as we right. know it. So <laughs> it's, uh, in this essay, I will. <laughs> it's fascinating. This is only tangentially related, but I was thinking about it a lot this weekend because there's this film that just opened, The Luckiest Girl Alive. Ooh. I don't know if y'all are aware. It's like a Mila mm. Kunis movie that just opened up on Netflix. It's based on a book that came out in 2015 mm-hmm. about a, this is not a spoiler, a girl who like in high school was gang raped and then immediately after there was a school shooting and one of her rapists is like the hero of the school shooting. Mm-hmm. And like, how does that play out in her life after that? And the way that this character plays it out is like being a girl boss. It's like literally a girl boss movie huh. about somebody who like can't process her trauma. Mm-hmm. The key to this movie like is that it's like specifically set in 2015 mm-hmm. and so it's about pre me too and what that world was like yeah but it got all these negative reviews from people who weren't really conscious of the fact that it was like 2015 or why it was why that was important mm-hmm. and everyone's like mm-hmm. she's just being a shallow girl boss and i'm like that's the point it's about how we were trained to process trauma before we were allowed to talk about it more openly right mm-hmm. and i just always find that fascinating when like a film is about something but people don't realize it's about that 
Yeah. Right. Anyway, on my mind right now, because it's like fascinating to go back to like recent period peace history. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that that movie had, had come out or, or what it was about. I only saw that people were like feeling a kind of way about it. Hmm. Yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, I, I, I get if you're not watching it through the lens of 2015. Right. But it's like, there's no other reason for that movie to be set in 2015, except if they're making a point about how to process stuff pre-20. Pre-Me Too. Pre-being yeah. pre able to talk about it more openly. Yeah. Right. Right. Which is something that I I, I think that, like, don't tell, like, the Rose Lindsay character toes the line of somewhat successfully. Because you know through certain exchanges that she certainly benefits from class privilege. She certainly benefits from white privilege. And also she is still contending with sexism and like discrimination in her workplace and like has to work harder for diminishing returns. And like both of those things are true. It doesn't make the, you know, way she uses her privilege any better, but it just contextualizes it. Mm -hmm. Although like, I don't know, 1991. (laughs) I know. Although I feel like this is to me emotionally the last movie of the (laughs) eighties. And then we go into, it feels, feels a bit very like, Remember Ronald Reagan? <laughs> <laughs> but we are getting a remake, at least. We they are? Haven't, yeah, they haven't announced a lot of the casting. The only casting uh, that I've seen so far is that Rose is going to be played by Tyra Banks. Interesting. Oh, mm-hmm. inter- uh, that And that just reminds me that we still haven't done our life-size episode. And that mm-hmm. is important to, to me. <laughs> um, I, get, I mean, Tyra Banks can certainly girl boss it up all day. That's uh, She's been doing it for decades. That's, yeah. Um, the last thing I want to briefly mention is the scene in which three drag queens steal their car, which they stole from Mrs. Sturrock. But like, yeah. they come out of Chuck E. Cheese. Three drag queens are stealing the car. Why are the drag queens at Chuck E. Cheese? Like, so not sure. In full drag. For a moment, I was like, is this a really weird Tu Wong Fu reference? But then I'm like, no, that movie came out several Uh, years after. Right. The point is, they are the only, like, queer characters in the entire movie. And then you see them doing uh, something wrong. Um, They are thieves. And I was like, I don't... That's not even a stereotype. Like, what is... What is happening? <laughs> like, I just ended up thinking, I'm like, that was fucking weird. Like, yeah. that was a weird decision to have made. But, like, and this is, again, like, absolute crumbs. But, like, the, the meanest thing that's said about them is, like, hey, those drag queens are stealing our car, which is technically true. That is what happens. <laughs> They're not saying the wrong thing. No, they... <laughs> But like, why? <laughs> yeah, I did not know what to make of that. Who is the third yeah. one? Like, one of them is Marilyn. One of them is Liza, Liza Minnelli. Minnelli. But then there's one in polka dots with like curly hair. And I was like, who's that one? Right. I also couldn't place her. I wasn't sure. That was... wasn't like Dolly Parton, was it? That's why I was wondering. But I didn't see comically large boobs. But it does happen really fast. So it was a very maybe, quick. Yeah. yeah. That was just... Not sure. Yeah. And then it... I mean, that would have been... Well, I, I mean, who knows? But theoretically, that could have been a fun cutaway for the end as well. Like, where mm-hmm. did they go in the damn Buick? Right. <laughs> I kind of wish they had gotten the money instead of the random uh, mortuary employees. But, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's out. true. That would have been wonderful. It had been under the floorboards or something. Right. Ooh. Like, then we could cut to them and uh, Mr. Eck would have hated that. And that's what we want. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I also, I wrote... <laughs> I, I I just was like, well, I guess that that's something that happened in the movie. Like the only <laughs> thing I had was like, there's no other identifiably 
queer characters right. in the movie. Not but sure. I, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but who knows? Okay. I think that that's all I had. Is there anything else anyone wanted to, to touch on? That's it from me. The only last thing I can think of is that I, I appreciate this movie is making fun of corporate speak of 91 that is now dead like interfacing it makes such a big joke about the word interfacing right yes. <laughs> and interfacing has now been retired so it means that you know touch base re- whatever whatever we say now zooming oh, circle back circle back yeah yes <laughs> someday it will end yeah or we could bring back interfacing which is <gasps> actually what we're doing right now oh <gasps> i love to oh interface my with my friends <laughs> <laughs> Okay, my last two little things. I liked the line, did he just read Dianetics or something? Oh, yeah. That was fun. Mm-hmm. About the hot dog. And then they were like, no, he's addicted to pills. And I was like, oh, okay, about maybe a Mr. Egg. Classist, but well, Mr. Egg, also an amazing character name. Yeah. Who's yelling at Swellen to smile more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, he's a villain. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a moment at the very end because the character's name is Carolyn. Am I? Carolyn. Okay. There's a moment in the last scene of the movie where Josh Charles says Caroline. Oh, he just says Caroline. Oops. He says the wrong character name in the last scene about the character who is his sister. Supposed to be a sister, um, yeah. And that that just made me laugh uh, <laughs> that no one got ADR for for that because he just says straight up the wrong name, uh-huh. and she's like, "Yup, uh huh." Um, it's great. That's all. Okay. Love it. <laughs> well, speaking of female characters with names, and sometimes maybe they talk to each other. What I'm saying is, does this movie pass the Bechtel test? Yeah. 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 Instantly, almost. Yeah. Swallow talks to Rose, obviously a lot. Talks to Carolyn. Yeah. Lots of conversations and combinations of characters that pass. Her mom. Yeah. Melissa. Melissa her group of friends when they're shopping and like mm-hmm. you can see that like she's mm-hmm. she can't buy all the jewelry that her friends can buy can buy she's like a little poorer than them yeah. the first thing we see her do is like pick up some gold beads and she can't buy them while right. her friends she's are like, shopping are you kidding me mm-hmm. but yeah. they're like I can do anything I'm a free woman and they're not being like boys 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 they're talking about like doing cool shit together they're talking about going to Europe mm-hmm. <laughs> Europe 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 <laughs> yeah I it very much passes. Mm-hmm. So you go, you go movie. But what about the only movie metric that's important? <laughs> Flawless, perfect. The nipple scale, where we rate movies on a scale of zero to five nipples based on just looking at it through an intersectional feminist lens. Mm-hmm. I would say because there are not that many movies and certainly not of this era that are about <laughs> what's effectively a single mom trying to balance work parenting and a social life and like empathizing with her when she doesn't totally pull it off which is cool right and and because you know again like she's not literally a single mom but that's the role that she ends up taking on through most of the movie i find that very cool that this is a movie about that even though she's a 17 year old who is faking a lot of (laughs) this stuff um but still still an interesting topic to examine that you know we should see more of yeah and just other things that we talked about you know the the movie showing a sexual predator character and actually framing him that way Mm -hmm. but then there's other things like uh you know the way the the movie makes the only like old woman 
a horrible monster, the extreme whiteness of the movie, things like that um, that are very tropey. I don't know. Maybe I would give this like a a three, three nipples. Let's go with that. And I'll give one to Swell. I'll give one to her mom. I'm I'm like team mom for being like, you know what? You kids are unappreciative of all of my labor and uh, I need a break from you. So here's the worst babysitter in the world to take care of you instead. And then definitely my last nipple goes to Kathy. Again, justice for Kathy, who deserved so much more gratitude and appreciation and credit for the work that she did, which she never gets on screen. So big fan of Kathy, justice for her. I'm going to go 3.5, maybe even 3.75 if I'm feeling nuts, but also 3.5. Yeah, very precise science. Uh, But (laughs) I I think this movie is doing so much right, especially for its time, and still manages to be like a really campy, fun movie to watch. I feel like I'm going 3.75. Maybe everyone's going to be upset with me, uh, but I... it's my it's my life. It's your life. That's what I learned from the mom. Fuck you. Fuck <laughs> fuck you who I'm responsible to. I'm leaving. Um okay. No, I I think that like yeah, a movie whose premise is based in having empathy for a uh, single working mom who is not getting it completely right but has her heart in the right place is a cool thing. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, you know, fixation on the white upper middle class is very typical and unchallenging of the time I, you know like I there are movies that do a far better job of you know like there should be more satires and comedic satires of the working class and like of uh, the non-white working class and this is just not one of those movies mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know I think that there is room in in the movie to address that stuff a a little more but you get so much you get you get the the creep being called out as a creep she gets to shoot him in the dick like (laughs) it you know we have women believing each other about creeps which Mm -hmm. you never see Mm -hmm. yeah I think this movie is just really fun maybe I'm scaling it a little too high because I just really enjoy it but I'm gonna go 3.75 and I'm going to give one to Swell. I'm going to give one to Ro. No, I'm going to give one to Dolores and Who Framed Roger Rabbit because that's Joanna Cassidy's uh, best part ever. Mm. I'm going to give one to Tara Eisen. And then I'll give the last uh, 0.75 to Melissa. Okay. <gasps> oh, yeah, Melissa. Mm. Love Melissa. Wish we got more from her. Amy, what do you think? I'll go higher than everybody. I'm going to go 4.25 nipples because I think... This movie does so much right without drawing attention to the fact that it's doing everything right. Yeah. There's nothing in this movie that for a millisecond feels like a vitamin or a lecture Mm. about, you know, gender roles in society. Not a single bit of it is like, oh, here's where we tell you guys how to really live your life. There's nothing preachy in this movement. I I think this movie speaks to kids, young adults, me at my current age on just like a fun level representing the way that the world both is you know, which is a lot of labor, a lot of unfair stuff, a lot of grunt work that you have to do, a lot of people getting taken advantage of, a lot of people getting rewarded for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. All those things are true. And it doesn't hide any of that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't sugarcoat anything. It doesn't make working look like wonderful. You know, it's not like a movie where 
a girl gets a job and suddenly she has the high heels and the wardrobe. Like, mm-hmm. this is, a, I think, a really lived-in movie about what it is like to get your first job and how hard it is and how, like, strange the working world is. Mm-hmm. And I think it both calls the corporate world on its bullshit and shows what it's really like. Mm-hmm. What I like about these kids is I feel like the kids are all actual authentic kids and they're not like scrubby or shiny and none of them sound like fake kids to me. Like nobody's True. too idealized. Nobody's too shiny. Yeah, definitely Mrs. Sturrock mm-hmm. comes out of a pizza commercial. But other than that, like <laughs> I don't think there are many kids movies like this that get so many things right. And I always want to take a really strong stance in pointing out these kids movies that do make the right choice every time there's a lazier choice. There are so many lazy choices yeah. that could have been made in this movie. For sure. Doesn't do any of them. Doesn't do any of them. Mm-hmm. Down from like the romance crazy one being the little kid, the little boy. Mm-hmm. And so for that, you know, for being a movie that to me felt like kind of an ur text for, oh, is this how the world works? Great. Okay. I get it. You're warning me. And also you're not putting me in a box. Mm-hmm. That's magical. And I, I feel like, yeah. Kids' movies are so important because it's how we start to see the world. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, there's mm-hmm. nothing in this that I think would turn a kid off. And I think it would, like, lay them out for what to expect and show them what's unfair. And maybe people will go to the workplace and be a little bit nicer to the, you know, to the poor, 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 sad um, Cathy's of the world. Mm. And maybe the Cathy's of the world see this movie and they're like, wait, yeah. <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck? The fuck? <laughs> exactly. I'm taking off my point seven five because I do agree on like the bizarre whiteness of LA, which was never true and Mm. wasn't true then. And LA is about and you know nineteen eighty one about to enter a moment of really reckoning with the racial things that have been whitewashed over in this in this city. For sure, Amy. Thank you so much for for coming on the show and for bringing us this movie. This was so fun. Oh, this has been my pleasure, Caitlin, Jamie. It's been so fun to be here. So thank you for having me aboard. Come back anytime. I'd love to. This is so fun. Where can people follow you online, check out your writing, check out anything that you would like to plug? Oh, yeah, totally. My social media handles are the Amy Nicholson. I'm right now really working. I think I'm only on Twitter for 24 hours a week, which is, I highly recommend. It's mm. so nice. I log in on Thursday and I log out Friday morning. Oh, and then you get to be oblivious the rest of the week. <laughs> Whatever is important, people will eventually tell you over a beer. Mm. <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah, I write for the New York Times, and my podcast is Unspooled with Paul Shear, where we just did uh, Jennifer's Body mm-hmm. and Midsummer, which I love talking <sighs> about Midsummer in terms of like trauma, bad boyfriends, or boyfriends who just cannot handle because they are immature. <laughs> uh. Ooh, yes, we had a similar discussion on mm-hmm. our Matreon, yeah. which, speaking of, you can uh, yeah. follow us on social media at Bechtelcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can subscribe to our Matreon at patreon.com slash Bechtelcast, in which we have covered both Midsommar and Jennifer's Body as bonus episodes on the Matreon. All for $5 a month, you get access to the back catalog and two new episodes every single month. And uh, you can get merch at tpublic.com slash the Bechtel cast holidays coming up, you know, mm. so there's that link. <laughs> um, okay. With that, uh, let's, let's all uh, head on down to the graveyard and uh, steal some corpses money. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Nice old lady. Thanks, Mr. Ack. Bye. Bye. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. 
featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.